We're going to read from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. Now as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and thank you for the preaching of your word. Thank you for our brother Steve and sister Mickey that they can come here and share their lives and the ministry you've given them with us. Father, I pray that we too would be fishers of men, both in participating in the work of the gospel going forth through the many who are out in the field, Father, and through the work of the gospel going forth in this field where we find ourselves. May your name be honored as your word goes forth this morning from our brother Steve. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. It is just a privilege to be here. And uh, for some of you who don't know the, the history of our connection with uh, Community Bible Chapel, uh, this was my seminary home. When, uh, back in uh, 1985, when I drove down from my Bible college in Omaha, Nebraska, came down here, started visiting churches here in Dallas. None of them felt like a fit until I came and visited Community Bible Chapel, and I never visited another church after that. I just felt this is it. This was, this was home. And over the years, and the many years that uh, my wife Mickey and I have been in Niger, this church has been faithfully behind our ministry and uh, supporting us, and uh, we, we're just most grateful for this body. The church also fed us over the years, in the early years, when we went to Niger in 1992, CBC would send cassettes back in the days of cassettes. And uh, uh, every so often, we'd get a package with cassettes. And uh, I'll just going to tell one, one little story about uh, a connection with CBC. We were living in the interior of Niger, and uh, our family was growing up and we felt like the little house that we had needed two more rooms and so we added two rooms and I did a lot of the work myself and while I was working on this addition uh, I decided to listen to the cassettes from CBC and Bob was preaching on the book of John it was really good it was just a, an excellent series and I was really enjoying it and we came to the where we needed to lay tile down on, on the floor. Well, you can't just go to Home Depot and pick out tile. You have to, I sent a merchant down to Nigeria, and when you send somebody to Nigeria, you get what you get. And he, and he came back with some vinyl tile, and when I opened the package, they were all different colors. And so I decided somehow I've got to make a pattern out of this. And so I began, but I didn't have tile glue. 
which you're supposed to use with tile, vinyl tile. What I did have was contact cement. And uh, it's very permanent. Uh, there's something else about contact cement, is you have to paint the, the, the floor, and then you have to paint the, the tile, and then you have to let it dry. And so I was doing this. I put on, started the cassette player and was listening to Bob on, on one of his sermons, and I was painting these tiles. And the vapors started coming up, and I'd open the window, but they were coming up. And I, as I, I went along, and I went along, and, and, and pretty soon I was just cut to the heart. I had tears streaming down my eyes, and I, I was like, this is the most beautiful sermon I've ever heard. <laughs> and then I started to get dizzy, and I thought, well, I think I'm done for tonight. And I, I, went, I went back where, where we were staying while we were working on our house and, and uh, came back the next morning, and I was like, I wonder why I put the tiles down that way. <laughs> and I put, I put Bob's message on again because it had been so good and it's like hmm sounds different without the glue (laughs) but having said that over the years we have listened to many many messages and and uh what a privilege it is to to bring the word this morning and uh, when bible.org came i have a buddy who's a prayer was a prayer partner of mine and Whenever we would write us a message, we'd always go check Bible.org, see what Tom had to say, see what Bob had to say. So we, we feel like we have been fed over the years by this teaching hour. So thank you for that. Uh, I would like you to think this morning, think about that moment when you gave your life to the Lord Jesus. That moment. If, if, you, if it was a moment, you know, for many in the, the Muslim world, when they come to faith in Christ, they can't really pinpoint an exact moment. It, it's, it's a process. It's something that happened over a period of time, and maybe it's that way for you. But think about that season or that time when you were brought to faith and you gave your life to the Lord. Why was it that moment Why was it that day and not the day before? Why wasn't the year before? There are are barriers for all of us. Uh, Things that hold us back from giving our life to Christ. And somebody has said that when the last barrier falls, everybody bows their knee to the Lord Jesus. For some of us, the barriers were relatively low. For myself, for example, I grew up in a Christian home where the scriptures were taught. And for me, the only barrier I had was understanding. And when the, script, when the gospel was explained in a way that a 10-year-old could understand, I believed. But for many others around the world, the barriers are much higher and much more of an obstacle. For for some, it's a geographical barrier. 
I was sharing with the ministry group last night that in Niger, if you're driving down the main east-west road that goes across the country, five kilometers to the north and five kilometers to the south, you start running into village after village that has never once had a visit from a Christian. And if nothing changes, people are living and dying without hearing God's good news. That's a geographical barrier. Sometimes there's uh, political barriers, and sometimes the barrier is insecurity within the country that keeps, keeps people from hearing the gospel. Sometimes it's cultural barriers and language barriers. But I want to tell you the greatest barrier that we have experienced, that we have observed in our 30-some years in, in West Africa is the barrier of family and social pressure. I was once with uh, a young man that I was dis- mentoring and discipling there in Niger. He's, he's, he was a Tuareg, and he had come to faith in Christ, and his, his family reacted very strongly. We were in a, in a village. We were visiting his grandmother that was sick, and uh, his name was Abdu, and Abdu said to me, very nonchalantly, he said, see those three men over there? Those are my uncles. They're the ones that beat me up when I became a Christian, and they left me in that hut over there to die. And he almost said it like he was a tour guide pointing out some historical event, but that's That was part of his faith story and what he had to live through. Another friend of mine, who we sometimes call Bill, he he was moving towards faith in Christ, and at a certain point, he seemed to just stop and take a step back. And one time, it was just he and I, we were kind of at a, on top of a, a hill, and we were just talking, and there was down the, in the valley, there was some encampments there. And I just said, Bill, can I, can I uh, ask you a question? Where are you with Jesus? And he did a very tomogic thing. He, he didn't look me in the eye. He looked out at that, that valley, and he said, if it wasn't for fear... The Tamajic word is tuxeda. If it wasn't for tuxeda, all of these people would be following Jesus. What he was telling me was, I can't. I'm afraid because of the, the pressure that would come on me. A lot of times, it's at the moment of baptism we see people turn away. They want to take that step, that public declaration that I am following Jesus, and right before their baptism, they fall away, and they disappear. I remember one time we had this uh, young lady. She, she had come to faith in Christ. She wanted to be baptized. Her husband had become a believer a year earlier, and it was a long spiritual battle for her because of the fear of her family. And finally, she followed her husband in faith, and she wanted to be baptized. But the morning of her baptism, she had a raging fever. 
I mean, she was hot just to stand next to. And the pastor and I both said, you know, we don't have to do this today. You are not well. We can do this another day. And she said, no, if I don't do it today, I may never do it. I want to be baptized. And she, she was baptized. She and her husband uh, went off to Bible school. They were trained, and they're now, they planted a church up north where it's into the red zone. We can't put Western missionaries there because of the security situation, but the gospel is going forth in that region. But the intense battle and the barriers that some people around the world face just to consider giving their life to the Lord Jesus. If you look at the map of the world and where the gospel has taken root and where the most unreached people are, you will see that where the most unreached people are, that's where the barriers are highest. It's not simply that they've been neglected. They haven't. The barriers are the highest there. And really, it is the mission of the church to cross those barriers and to bring Jesus to these people in a way that's meaningful and that they can understand. Now, how do we react when we see that challenge? For many of us, it's exciting. Like, where do we fit in? What's, what's my role? Where, what's my place in what God is doing? But as I've been thinking and studying this passage that we're going to look at today, I've become convinced that maybe that's the wrong question. The right question isn't, what's my place and what should I be doing? How can I contribute? What if the right question is, am I ready to follow the Lord Jesus? So Carrie read our passage for us. I would like to read the verse 17. If you have the scriptures in front of you, just uh, open to... Uh, Matthew chapter 4, again. And uh, let's just backtrack one verse previous. Matthew writes, From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This was Jesus' message. The kingdom of heaven is near. This was not bad news. This is not the sky is falling gloom and doom. This was good news for those who were watching the signs, those who were righteous and walking uprightly before their Lord. This was the announcement that the consolation, the redemption of a broken, hurting world was beginning to unfold. And the message of Jesus is repent. Turn the direction of your life and align your life with God's eternal purpose. The kingdom of heaven is near. And that's the backdrop to the calling of these fishermen. And as was read, Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. And they were casting their nets, for they were fishermen. Now, what we have here in Matthew chapter 4 is almost identical to what we have in, in Mark, but it's the shortened version. It's the condensed version. 
If you want the long version, you have to go to the book of Luke. Because when we read the account in the book of Luke, you realize that uh, in addition to what you have here, there was a crowd of people that Jesus was teaching. There were casting of nets and a whole lot of fish that were miraculously caught and almost sunk the boats. And it's in the long version that you began to see a little more of what it took for the last barrier to fall for these fishermen. For, for Peter, when he saw all those fish in the boat, he realized, this is the Lord. And he realized, I am a sinner, and he fell. He melted before the Lord, and he said, go away from me, I am a sinful man. And Jesus said, don't be afraid. I'll make you fishers of men. Which is a beautiful picture because he was talking to fishermen. Later on, he would say, you will be my witnesses. You will be the ones to give testimony on my behalf. The Apostle Paul used the term ambassadors of Christ and ministers of reconciliation. And then Jesus goes a little bit further to other brothers, James and John, and he calls them as well. And when they hear the call of the Lord Jesus, they leave the boats. They leave the fish. They leave the nets. And they even turn to their father, Zebedee, and they say, Father, we have to follow the master. And I'm sure they went with Zebedee's blessing. And you get this picture of turning over their life, their life going in a new direction, their life aligning with God's eternal purpose. But what I would like to focus on this morning is what we find in verse 19. What were the words that Jesus actually used when he called his disciples? He said, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. There are only two imperatives in that statement. One is come. Wherever you are, come to where Jesus is. And the second is follow. Go where Jesus is going. Go where Jesus is leading you. The rest of that verse is not an imperative. It's a promise. It's what Jesus promises he will do for those who come and those who follow. He says, I will make you fishers of men. When you come to me and follow me, I will make you. I will work in you and make you fishers of men. Now, this coming and this following looks different in different cultural contexts. I'll never forget Sunday morning. We were in church, the Tamajic speaking church that we were a part of. We had come to the end of the, the service and we were welcoming visitors and there was one man, we'll say his name was Ali, he stood up and he said, I, I have an announcement. I was raised in a Muslim home, in a Muslim background, 
but I have decided to follow Jesus. And we clap, because this almost never happens, that someone just comes to the church and says, I want to follow Jesus. And so we clapped, and we're excited. And, but the elders very wisely met with Ali. And as they talked with him, they sort of discerned that there were some gaps in his understanding. And I was teaching uh, a, a Bible study to the elders of the church at that time, and they said, would you be all right if Ali just joined the Bible study? We think he's got some things yet to understand. And I said, sure, but there was a problem. The study we were doing was, it involved some, a lot of reading and, and some, some writing and answering questions, and Ali did not know how to read or write to Majik. Um, but I said, that's okay. He can sit in and be a part of the group. Well, actually, one of the, the people in the Bible study said, the Bible study's on Wednesday. If he comes to my house on Tuesday, we will work on his reading, and I can help him learn to read and, and write. And so that's what he did, week after week. And after about 20 weeks, he was starting to write his own answers. It was really amazing. And he was just eating up the Word of God we were in the book of John. We were coming to the end of the book and talking about the, the death of the Lord Jesus. And I'll never forget, Ali also stopped us and he said, wait a minute. Are you saying that Jesus died for my sins? That he took my place? Everybody else in the study was like, well, of course. And he said, do you know what? The Muslim teachers never tell you that. He said, all these years, they never told me that. Well, he kept studying the scriptures. He's gone on. He's very active in his church, very active in reaching out to his family and to his community. We could debate, when did Ali follow Jesus? Was it that Sunday when he stood up and publicly said, I want to follow Jesus, even though he understood very little? Or was it when he finally understood what Christ had done for him? Hard to say. And again, for many coming out of a Muslim background, all they can say is, I once was blind, now I see. When did it happen? Somewhere in between. But he, I can tell you this, that Sunday, when he professed faith in Christ, he paid the price because his family found out, his community found out, and that he became an object of scorn and ridicule, and he stood firm. He came and he followed the Lord Jesus. And that's what the Lord is calling for each one of us. Wherever we are, his, his great invitation is the same. Come, follow me. But the problem, the very large problem, is that we can partially follow. We can partially obey. And partial obedience and partial following is actually very dangerous. It's what Jesus called 
being lukewarm. It's following from a distance, from a safe distance. Following Jesus, but staying in the comfort zone. Not stepping out. Not putting ourselves in any kind of position where we could be hurt or, or uh, um, damaged in any way so that we follow the Lord Jesus from this safe distance. It's, it's kind of what happened with the rich run, young ruler, if you remember that story. This rich man comes to Jesus, and he wants to make sure he's made it into, into the heaven. And he lists for Jesus all the things that he's done regularly. And his question is really, is that good enough? Am I in? And you notice Jesus never really answers that question. What Jesus does is he offers to that rich young ruler the great invitation. He says the exact same words. He says, come, follow me. And by the way, these riches that you're holding on to that have gotten such a big part of your life, get rid of them. Let go of them. Come follow me and I will show you riches in heaven. I will show you a life that you can only dream of when you've come and follow me. The rich man considered what he had, what Jesus was offering, and with his head bowed in sadness, he walked away. He came to Jesus, but he could not follow. I'm going to give you an illustration from my own life. Uh, when I was a young man here in seminary, I'd always wanted to be married. I knew that at some point I wanted to be married, but I wasn't ready until a certain, a certain time. It was like a switch flipped in my brain, and it's like, I think I'm ready now to be married. And I wanted that, that relationship where I compliment somebody and she compliments me and it's like our lives are, are one and that intimacy is just something deep inside me that I wanted. And uh, didn't meet that person here in, in Dallas, but I went on and did a short term in, in Niger and that is when I met my wife, Mickey. And when I met Mickey, I was like, she's perfect. That's exactly what I'm looking for. She's wonderful. So, of course, I proposed to her, and she said yes, and we got married, and, and it was great. Thank you, Lord. Somewhere down the road, like maybe many of you can relate, I began to think, why is this so hard? <laughs> why is this so difficult? This is supposed to be wonderful. And it wasn't Mickey's fault. What was happening is I was coming face to face with my own selfishness, my own uh, self-centeredness, like almost nothing else can do in your life that, other than marriage. But uh, I had my own, my own needs and my own interests, and I was putting those forward. And the more 
I, I focused on my needs, my interests, the more that relationship that I dreamed of began to drift away. And like many of you, I'm sure, painfully you come to the realization that that relationship that you longed for, that came from inside, that you wanted to have, only is realized on the other side of laying down your life, sacrificing for the other person, putting their needs ahead of your own. And it's only at that moment you begin to realize the, the marriage is starting to grow together. And it's sad when you see within a marriage couple, they never reach that point. And they never understand what they're missing out on. It's sort of marriage on their own terms, but the end result is it's not the marriage they dreamed of or that they longed for. It's very much like that in following Jesus. At a moment, we give our life to the Lord, but we sort of do it at our own, on our own terms. We follow at a safe distance, protecting ourselves, our own interests. And the relationship is lukewarm. It's not the relationship we had hoped for or the relationship we had dreamed of. To understand this, um, one of the books that has had probably the greatest influence in my life, other than the Word of God, is a book by Jerry Bridges, and it's called The Discipline of Grace. It, I can't tell you how many times I've read that book. Now, you may know, remember, Jerry Bridges is famous for his book, The Pursuit of Holiness. That actually was his most famous book, but he said after he finished The Pursuit of Holiness that he wished he had written one more chapter. Well, the book, The Discipline of Grace, is that one extra chapter, which turned out to be longer than the first book. But uh, this, in this book, he explains what he calls the influence continuum. But he says that at any given time, all of us are under the influence of two very powerful forces. He said at one end of the continuum, you have the Word of God. And the Word of God in the hands of the Holy Spirit is extremely powerful. It changes us. It changes us from the inside. We are not the same people. We are new creations. And over time, you can see how much the, the Word of God has marked our lives and has changed the way we think, our values, it's tremendously transforming. He says, unfortunately, at the other end of the spectrum, there's another very powerful force, and that is the world and its corrupting values. And they're always there. They're around us. It's like the air we breathe. It's in interactions with, with people. It's in what we watch. It's in 
what we see on our internet feeds, that the world's values are always there, and they're almost invisible, but they're always working on us and normalizing their values. And so that all of us are somewhere on this influence continuum with both of these influences affecting us at all times. But where we fall on this continuum depends on how we follow the Lord Jesus. And the battle for for where we fall on the influence continuum between the world's values and the word of God takes place in our thinking. Let me just read a little bit of what Jerry Bridges writes. He says, what does your mind turn to when it's free to turn to anything? Do you begin to meditate on scripture? I often ask people this question. When you can think of anything you want to think about, what do you think about? Do you think about your problems? Or do you engage in mental arguing with someone else? Or perhaps even allow your mind to drift into the wasteland of impure thoughts? Thinking is our most constant activity. Our thoughts are our constant occupation. We are never without them, but we can choose the direction and the content of those thoughts. When Jesus says, come, follow me, what he's saying is set your mind on things above. Whatever has our attention, whatever captures our thoughts, that will move us either one way or the other way on the influence continuum. I'd like to give you five practical considerations. I want this message to be practical. As we think about following the Lord Jesus' invitation to come and to follow him, the first practical consideration is following Jesus takes energy. Have you ever thought of that? Now, our, our redemption is a free gift. It was nothing we, that we could earn. It wasn't anything that we merited. It was a gift from God. It's God's grace that he called us into his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. But when he says, come, follow me, that also is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. But our will is also part of that equation. The Lord Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. You ever think about that door? That door only opens from the inside. He doesn't push the door down. It opens from the inside. We have to open the door to the working of the Lord Jesus in our life. And to move in this direction takes energy. It takes almost no energy to follow the world and its values. If we are living overworked, overstressed, sleep-deprived, no margin in our life, the most natural thing is to slide this direction. 
and you will see the world's corrupting values have their deepest impact in our life. We are like the proverbial cork bobbing in the, in the stream. But if we're going to move intentionally and answer the call of the great invitation, come, follow me, that takes energy. Is there space, is there margin in our lives to move this direction? That's number one. Number two, coming and following Jesus often involves a change of our habits. Have you ever thought about your habits? They're actually, the studies have shown that throughout the day, about 60% of what we do, we do by habit. Those of you who drove to church today, there was a myriad of little tasks that you did to make that huge motor vehicle go down the road and arrive here safely. And you didn't think of any of them. You were probably talking to somebody next to you or you were listening to the radio or, or something, uh, some sort of music. You just did them. And the reason is, Driving, for you, has become a habit. And if you don't believe it's a habit, wait till you teach your teenager how to drive. (laughs) And they don't have those habits. And it's scary. (laughs) Doing the right thing at the right time is more about having the right habits. It just takes discipline to form those habits. They say... To form a new habit in our lives, it takes, on average, 66 days. Think about that. It takes 66 days of doing the right thing at the right time, and then you'll stop thinking about it, and you'll just continue doing it. And what's actually happening is, in your brain, there's neural pathways being formed. The scripture says a lot about preparing our minds for action. 1 Peter 1.13. Or, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Moving this way often involves developing new patterns of habit. Think of Daniel. He had, the, he had a habit three times a day. At a set time, he would turn his face towards Jerusalem and he would pray. And it made him, that habit of prayer made him into the the steadfast, consistent man of God that he was. And even the king's decree could not put Daniel off from his appointment with God. Habits are very, very important. We may be 66 days from developing brand new habits that move us this way on the influence continuum and following the Lord Jesus. Now, number three, it goes along with number two, sometimes there is other habits we have to break, other habits that we have to let go of. And some of them can be sinful, but not all of them. They can be things that we do every day that are not necessarily wrong and may not even be wrong for the person next to you, but they've occupied a large part of our life, and these habits are capturing our attention and are keeping us 
from other positive actions and habits. And we have to let go of those. And uh, sometimes it's related to watching the news or entertainment or just whatever preoccupation that is capturing our attention, we would benefit from letting go of those. So following Jesus, when he says, come follow me, sometimes it means letting go of certain habits that are, have become an important part of our life. Number four, following Jesus will almost always result in a change of lifestyle. N.T. Wright wrote, the longer you look at Jesus, the more you will want to serve him in his world. I've shared this before last time I I spoke here, but uh, when I was in Niger over the years, when I saw somebody who had come to faith out of a, a Muslim background, I always asked, what was it the Lord used to bring you to faith in Jesus Christ? What I was really asking was, what did the, how did God bring down, tear down the last barrier for you? And I heard many, many stories over the years, but I always heard two things that were part of almost everybody's story. Number one, I had a friend who was a Christian And this friend was like nobody else I'd ever met before. And they gave me, number two, the word of God. Or we read the scriptures together. Or he taught me or she taught me the scriptures. And as I read the scriptures, I met Jesus. And Jesus changed my life. Friendship over a long period of time and the word of God. Now, if you think about it, isn't that how many, many people, even in this country, are coming to faith in Christ. Often it's through a personal relationship and the Word of God. If we are committed to following Jesus, at some point between us and the Lord, the issue will come up. If that's how people are coming to faith, how can I reorder my life so that there is space for building those relationships, to being involved in people's lives and introducing them to the Word of God and moving, beginning them on their journey uh, with the Lord Jesus as well. Following Jesus will almost always result in a change of lifestyle. At some point, the issues come up as we follow Jesus. Lastly, Often following Jesus involves pain. It's not the one we like to think about. But you look back on your life, when your life, when your spiritual life grew the most, was it not often after going through a valley of disappointment, a valley of loss? When we enter our journey with the Lord, often we're thinking about the benefit and all the blessings of being with Christ. And then as we journey with him, we begin to think, Lord, what do you want from me? Where do you want me? Where would you place me in your kingdom of heaven? Where will you 
Where do you want me to serve? But between those two stages is often a valley of pain and disappointment. But the Lord uses the pain and redeems the pain and makes us his disciple. So Jesus didn't call his disciples to be great witnesses. He didn't call them to be great agents of change in the world. He simply said, come, follow me. They left the boat, they left the fish, they left the net, they followed Jesus. And as they followed Jesus, he made them fishers of men. He made them great witnesses. He made them agents of change in the world. And it's the same for us today. No matter where we are in our journey, he's constantly calling us to move this way, to follow him. It's like C.S. Lewis says, further up, further in. Come, follow me. And as you follow me, I will make you into the fishers of men that I want you to be. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. It challenges us. Sometimes we skip ahead and we, we, we think what great things we can do for the kingdom when all you're saying to us is, come, follow me. Reorder your life in such a way that it's in an alignment with my eternal purpose. So, Lord, we just pray that as we contemplate your call, give us the courage, Lord, in this world to hear your voice and to follow you. And we, we ask, Father, that you would be pleased to make us your fishers of men, make us your witnesses, make us your ambassadors and your ministers of reconciliation. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.